In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. What I love about Shopify is basically how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. I know we use Shopify here at Betches, and honestly, anyone with any kind of business could really benefit from Shopify. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash betches, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash betches now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash betches. Welcome back to Not Another True Crime Podcast. I'm Sarah Levine. And I'm Danny Murphy. And Sarah, can you let everybody know why this is a very special episode of Not Another True Crime Podcast this week? Oh my God, you guys are going to be so excited. We have the director of Girl in the Picture, Abducted in Plain Sight, all of those true crime documentaries we're all obsessed with. Sky Borgman, welcome to the show and thank you so much for joining us. Wow, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. We are so excited to talk to you because of course everyone, all of our audiences are very familiar with those two documentaries that you have had a part in. And I know they are going to be just as intrigued and curious and ready to dive all into the truth about Jim, which is your latest uh, story that you took on. And we're kind of curious, what inspired you to kind of want to jump into this story in particular, too? Uh, Really, this story was exciting to me because it's three generation of women who are dealing with generational trauma. And, uh, and I think it's something that people don't talk about all the time. And I think it's something that ends up sort of riding in under the radar. And so I really wanted to explore what the ripple effects of trauma are and how different generations deal with it. And it also had this investigative element of, of Sierra Barter really sort of going out into the world and trying to see if she could come up with some answers about someone in her family. I feel that's the thing that really uh, first drew me in when I was watching it, because it's one of those moments that you almost hate to say it, but there is a level of relatability I feel a lot of people have, because of course, maybe not to this extreme, but there's so many things that I feel people think to just like be the quote unquote happy family, they sweep under the rug, or they just are like too difficult or too rough, or they don't want to talk about it, they don't want to rehash it. And this kind of shows you 
the ripple effect of what happens when families choose that route. Yeah. And look, let's face it. I mean, everybody can relate to family in some way or another. You've either got it, you don't have it, you've got good relationships, bad relationships, or somewhere in between. And so it really is Sierra and her mom and her grandmother with Sierra kind of taking the charge of, of figuring out where some of the trauma in the family came from and trying to kind of get in there with a microscope and look, look in a deeper way at where the fractures in the family came from. And I'm kind of curious too, because not only are you tackling their story from just like head on all the situations and things they're laying out, but because you have that added layer to it, did you have to go about um, approaching them and the topics in any way? Because you're not only trying to get uh, answers for them, but they're also actively trying to repair their family relationship. So I feel, did that almost feel like a sense of added pressure for you? I mean, always when you're dealing with relationships, there's there's a lot of responsibility, a lot of pressure. Um, that, in my mind, is what this four-part series is about, is really family and and finding a way to get through it all together, I guess. And so it was always a combination of how much are we looking at this story? How much are we looking at this crime? How much does Sierra and the rest of her family how much information do they have? How does it intersect with some of these serial killers that were in Northern California in the 1970s? And how much of it is just going and talking to family members and, and recognizing some of the trauma that exists, recognizing the abuse that happened, and sort of repairing in those relationships that, that kind of got a little bit severed because of the actions of Jim Mordecai. And I feel like one thing that's so interesting about this documentary is all of these various possibilities about the truth about Jim are being investigated in real time. What was that like? What was your approach to storytelling when you're like, there are so many variables that are just unknown? It's different. I mean, it's, it's always, it's always sort of as, you know, you're always thinking about what is the best way to sort of navigate your way through the filming process of these stories. And there's so many things you have to take into account. There's the re-traumatizing of people who are telling their story. And a lot of these people experienced trauma. I think everybody probably in our story, um, with the exception of the experts, had experienced some sort of trauma or another. And and you want to do it without re-traumatizing people. But also, they have real legitimate ideas that Jim Mordecai could have killed somebody. And so looking at what the information is there, is there any evidence? Is it circumstantial evidence? Is it direct evidence? And then what do you do with that evidence if you get it? And what do you do with these, these links that you're able to find through doing research on newspapers where they mention Jim's story or doing or talking to family members? And so it's, it's always a, a balancing act, I have to say, between really taking care of the people involved, always taking care of the people involved, and, and going on this journey of, of investigating a crime. And for you, while going about the filming and the production of it and everything art do you have to kind of like remove the like part of your brain where you're jumping to conclusions because i feel like that must be so hard for me where like when like sierra saying i think uh just for our listeners but to read like i think my uh uh jim could be the zodiac killer or it could be the serial killer or something like that how do you not just go like oh wait i think that is true because of all these things and you have to kind of like take a step back to still tell the full story. You know what I mean? Because I feel that for me would be very tricky. It's tricky. It's always tricky because you, you end up sort of creating these scenarios in your head, you know, but luckily with this, 
I, I feel like Sierra was also really, really interested in just finding answers. Like she didn't have, like she wasn't trying to find an answer that she had just sort of predicted, right? She wasn't trying to say, I want to link my my grandfather with Santa Rosa Hitchhiker Murder or with Zodiac. And so all of the stuff that I find, I'm just going to link those together. Like she was really more willing to hear of things if circumstances sort of fit. And if they didn't, she was fine with it. Um, but for me, it's really, you know, I always say just believe anything and question everything. And that's that's kind of the approach that I've taken because there have been many times where I'm like, there's no way this could happen this way. And then something happens, you're like, oh shit, it actually can happen that way. And it did happen that way. Or you believe something to be completely true. And then you're like, oh no, it kind of unraveled and nothing, nothing came of it. So it's always, always, always questioning, questioning, questioning. I feel like you've been involved in so many projects that are like, no, that can't happen. And then the craziest thing you've never could have realized happened. And how did you get into crime and telling these types of stories? I mean, look, I've always liked, I've always liked these gray areas. I've always liked these areas of, of confusion. Um, I've liked these areas where you don't really know which way is up or which way is down. And I always love stories that kind of can look at the human conundrum in all of its different facets. And so I feel like crime really fits into that in a really great way. You're looking at the very, very best of people. You're looking at the very, very worst of people. And you're looking kind of at everything in between. And the more of these I do, I mean, the more I just kind of really know that that nothing is black and white, that everything kind of exists in all these different ways and that motivations kind of come from somewhere, whether or not we can say where they come from, sometimes we're able to, sometimes we're not, but that there's always, there's always intricacies involved in these stories. And those are the stories I really like telling. And um, for our listeners who maybe haven't been able to like uh, dive into the entire story, uh, entire docu series, just quite yet. Do you mind kind of letting them know how maybe you went about the approach of uh, putting it all together? Because for me, from my perspective, it was I loved how it kind of went from building. You kind of got the whole picture of the family and starting there before bubbling out to more greater um, potentials that could have happened. Yeah, I mean that was very much the approach from the beginning. Is you know because it all sort of started it really is just based on kind of reality because it started that women started talking about this. Sierra talked to her mom and they talked to their, her grandmother, you know, these people started talking about this story and started coming up with these ideas. Could Jim have committed more crimes? And so it really started out as the small group of women. And then, and then it started just growing and saying, well, in order for us to know more, we've got to talk to, Jim's daughters. We've got to talk to these people. We've got to talk to these people. And so really thinking about it structurally from where it started and how it started to grow out from there to going to the town where, where Jim lived and where some of them lived and then going to well, what were the murders sort of happening in this area in this time? Could we place Jim close to any of those murders happening in this area in this time? And then even sort of going even further going, okay, now law enforcement Let's get them involved. Let's drop off some information to them and see what they come up with. And I feel like with Jim, there were just, you know, even if he's not the Zodiac killer, it seemed like everyone you spoke to had stories of horrific abuse 
what do you think allowed for him to, I mean, honestly, get away with it for so long and hurting so many people? I, I mean, we know what we know is that Jim raped people, right? We know that we've got victims accounts of Jim raping people. Um, I think it's a lot easier for rape to go unnoticed than it is murder to go unnoticed. And I think it was happening in a time where, where he was able to groom his victims. Um, certainly we know that's true with Christy, that he asked her to be quiet, that he was a father figure to her, that it could have destroyed her family. Uh, he let her know that it could have destroyed her family if she'd said anything about it. And he was also, because of his position as a teacher at the school, he was able to target people who he knew may have some vulnerabilities, may not have a, a, an intact family to come home to, may have not had a family, a father figure. And so he was able to sort of target those people and and rape them. And so that kind of crime, I think, is pretty easy to understand how that could go unreported, especially because these are these are children, right? These are these are young women who are who are under 18 years or just barely 18 years old. And so it's 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 not hard to imagine that nobody would, would report this. It's that hard thing too with you talking about how his position as a teacher being so integral to all of it, because you're also taught at like such a young age to have that fear and respect of authority and also going under the assumption that oh, I'm sending my kid to school, they'll be safe there. Safe. Yeah. And you're also taught that your teacher is a safe person, right? And so that's the thing is like, if you're going to go to somebody who you know, love and trust, your teacher sort of fits on that short list of people that you know, love and trust. Or your dad. And your dad was also a perpetrator. So, I mean, that's, you know, so a lot of this, these lessons that we were teaching in the 70s have evolved a little bit, you know, because we understand now that it is, those types of people. It's people who have close proximity to underage people who can be the perpetrators more times. Um, so we understand that a little bit better now. So I think our definitions of of who we can go to to talk about things is is, is changing. I feel also just like what um, authority figures are able to get away with while this still happens to this day of just like when they were telling the stories about like, I mean, I know maybe with science class, but like the almost the torture that he was doing with the animals to to study and then having the kids like hang out with him after hours and everything like this. I almost, there were moments where I was like, how was the school not aware of all of these things? I know. And I think, I think it was, you know, I, I mean, look, I think about myself when I was in school too. And I'm like a lot more things happened back then than, than are able to happen now because we put a lot more structure into being alone with people uh, going on field trips. But even then I'm like, it feels like a little bit of an excuse really, because it's like, he's going to horse shows with one young woman in his car. And I'm like, that just shouldn't I mean, even in the eighties, when I was in high school, we had to get permission slips signed and they were group activities. You know, it's not, it's not like I never went anywhere with anybody with a teacher alone in a car. And aside from that, was there any part of the documentary making it or interviewing that shocked you the most? I don't know. I mean, I think just the number, the number of stories that, that I heard about, about Jim. I mean, I think that was pretty shocking. Um, and the, within the Half Moon Bay community, there's a, there's a scene um, where Shannon sort of puts, puts something out on, on a Facebook page and about Jim Mordecai and the messaging that she gets back is just so 
accusatory and blameful and and harsh. And I don't know that it was shocking. I mean, maybe maybe I was shocked because I was more shocked, you know, that, that this still exists. But um, but I think maybe that, and and we'll see. It'll be interesting, right? Like once it airs, like what is the what is the tone of what Half Moon Bay sort of comes back with at that point? Are people going to be like, yeah, maybe maybe he was kind of weird, or are people going to stick with it and say, absolutely not. He was he was he was an upstanding guy, and he was a respectful member of the community. I guess time will tell. Yeah, and then even how it's like how the way he even left his job, like was it an early retirement as a commendable uh employee or was it because of the actions he was doing encroaching on him quicker than they've ever had before it's a good question we we tried to figure that out and we could never quite figure out exactly the reason for him i also feel with that too it was very interesting i think it maybe was the second episode where they kind of start to talk about the idea that all of this not all of it but a good amount of it maybe even brewed up from him just feeling anger towards women in general for like, quote unquote, ruining his opportunities of like being the star athlete and being like the hero and everything like that, because he had a kid. So, and like, and then it is such an interesting, but I think that is such a, uh, an important topic to touch on because you have this thing where it's an action and a choice he made for himself that he now is taking out on everybody because he doesn't get to be the hero in the story he's making of his own life. Yeah, exactly. And I think, look, we did a lot of digging too to find out sort of what other information we could find. We talked to a lot of people who kind of knew his parents and knew kind of what that home life was about there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is, you know, it's it's always interesting to look at somebody's upbringing, to look at somebody's history and say, can we, you know, sort of make a direct line from this thing that happened to them there to this monster that he's turned into? Some of the times I think that line is a little bit more straight. Sometimes it's full of a lot of twists and turns. Sometimes it's not there at all. But with Jim Mordecai, I mean, it definitely seems like a lot of what he went through in terms of kind of, you know, losing a a career as like the star quarterback because of a child or because of a a relationship. I think to me, at least, it seems like there are a lot of direct correlations with that and who he turned out to be. And I feel like that's something that comes up a lot when people delve into the early lives of serial killers, like whether or not Jim was one. So interesting. It's very interesting. And it's, and it's different. I mean, it's different for everybody. I don't know, you know, but look, I mean, it's, it's, you can certainly say that people who have had, you know, whose lives or high school careers have been devastated by an unwanted pregnancy or an injury they don't all turn into serial killers, no. right? I, I, <laughs> I mean, some of them kind of go in a really great direction. In fact, a lot of people, their dreams don't come true from high school. I'd say probably 90% of us, our dreams don't come true from high school, but we still end up being functioning, caring, kind human beings. Truly. I know that is the insane thing where it's just the how people process their self-importance and everything like that. And I also feel because obviously just from everybody listening and us talking right now, there's so much to unpack just about Jim as a person and the ripple effect he did in his family and the family tree. But you also had to do a lot of research kind of into this upswing of serial killers during this time in uh, the area. And how was kind of being able to, I'm sure you're no, obviously you're no stranger to diving into a lot of different research, but was this kind of a different undertaking because you not just had to dive into this entire family but also the trends of multiple different 
uh, serial killers on the prowl at this time. Well, and yeah, it was really interesting because sort of we had to look at the the San Francisco, Northern California area as, I mean, it was really kind of a hotbed of serial killers in the 1970s. And, and talking to a few historians, authors, you know, a few people in doing our research and kind of going, why? I mean, like, why here? Why not upstate New York? Why not middle of the country? And look, I mean, I think, you know, the 1970s across the board was kind of the, the, the time when serial killers were were really at their zenith, I guess. Um, but one thing that we were able to sort of interpret, and look, I'm not a historian. I don't, I don't know if this is, you know, I haven't talked to all the historians, but what I was able to sort of glean is because of the 60s and 70s and because of this, this age where we're starting to express ourselves more, we're starting to speak our minds a little bit more, we're starting to live outside of what people might consider the norms. It sort of encouraged this, this time for serial killers to sort of explore what their proclivities are. And, and there wasn't quite the, the capping down on how people are acting. And so they'd, they'd sort of push limits and push limits and push limits to the point where, where the people who were capable and interested in murdering people were going out and, and murdering people. So whether or not it's true or not, it seems to make some sense to me. I don't know if it's quite that easy and quite that, you know, able to put it into a box quite as easily as that, but it it seems to make sense to me. That's also interesting because it almost makes you think on the flip side too, that because you have like that upswing of people just expressing themselves for better and for worse in a lot of different ways. You also always have the complete other end of the stick where people who are so used to like having the boxes because that's how they feel their sense of power, people staying in their lanes, now kind of choosing their own adventure. And you have the people just fully against people's self-expression. Yeah, and then it just starts to, to get this gap that gets bigger and bigger. Yeah, oh, wow. Super interesting. Um, well, I guess we're curious if there are any stories that you've been following and keeping an eye on or any documentaries that you've watched lately that you found interesting. Oh, let's see. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at a lot of stories in the, in the media um, all the time. I just started, and I'm not going to, it's like Lover... Killer. Oh, lover stalker it? killer! It, lover, I just got an alert that killer. it came out or something like that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I just started it. It's I haven't finished it yet. I got about halfway through it, and I'm really, I'm really loving it. So I can't wait to see what happens with that one. And I feel also there is a moment for anybody who is only halfway through uh, the truth about Jim. You can cover your ears, but for everybody <laughs> that finished it, uh, it ending kind of with the I, I wasn't sure which how it was going to end, and I feel it was kind of almost very powerful because of course listening through you're kind of almost uh you want Sierra to get answers and a little sense of closure maybe from the stuff she was digging up and I was expecting that closure and I don't know if this was also for you that closure to come from a detective or an officer to be like you know what you helped us crack this case and it doesn't go that way but on the flip side you get this really moving and touching uh, not dinner table conversation, but just table conversation with the extended family. And how was kind of your process for filming with that ending and also the moving parts of all of that? Yeah, it was it was really wonderful. I mean, because even though like Sierra doesn't get the closure that you might expect um, from law enforcement, she does get a type of closure from law enforcement because she's listened to and she's believed and she doesn't expect that to happen. And so there is something that is very fulfilling about that. But really, I mean, I do think of this series as 
a series about family and and how to heal a fractured family or a possible way to heal a fractured family. And and Sierra's able to bring everybody together and sort of have a nice meal together. And I forced them to talk about Jim Mordecai for a moment, but <laughs> but you know, we're to talk about the whole experience for a moment. And so they do that. But ultimately they spent a weekend together and they just danced and they laughed and they had fun and they talked about family and they looked at pictures and they went swimming and they just had this really wonderful weekend, which was the first time that that had ever happened. And so I think it was, I think it was incredibly fulfilling for everybody. That's beautiful. Cause I feel like this really did push them all to have conversations they didn't want to have. Yeah. And they thought they could just get through life without having. And it's almost kind of a great lesson for everybody overall, like how hard conversations can help actually nourish everybody and help people get closer than before. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it really is. It really is the main thing I want people to sort of walk away from this series and think about is just talk to someone, you know, look, it doesn't have to be on sort of a national global scale. It doesn't have to be in a documentary format. It doesn't have to be in any kind of big way. It's just that find somebody. And if you've got something that you want to share to talk about it, and if that can happen for one person, then I think we've, we've done a job that we set out to do. I love that. Definitely. So on that note, everybody, go check out The Truth About Jim on Max now. It's out by the time if you're listening to this. It's so good. And thank you so much, Sky, for taking the time to chat with us too. Yeah, thank you so much. So make sure to check out The Truth About Jim on Max right now. And if you like it, when you like it, I should say, let us know what you think in the Facebook group at Not Another True Crime Group. Uh, and also you can DM anything, thoughts that you guys have or other documentaries that you're watching. I know Sky said she's watching the Lover uh, Stalker Murder documentary. I just got an alert for that. I haven't seen it yet, but let us know if you are at Not Another True Crime. You can follow me on Instagram at Cashmere Danny, Cashmere with a K. You can follow me at Sarah Lameem. And as always, thank you for listening and we'll be back next week. Not Another True Crime Podcast is produced by Rebecca Steinberg and Sean Kilby. Editing by Rebecca Steinberg. Social media by Sarah Levine. Be sure to follow Not Another True Crime on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And send us your emails to NATC at Betches.com. Betches.